on the donkey, and the crowd shouted, Hosanna, right? But also, remember what they did, they spread their cloaks on the ground in front of the donkey. They didn't do that just to, you know, give the donkey a cushy entrance into the city and, you know, help his poo. But they did that as a sign of submission. We believe that you are the promised one and we are willing to follow you fully with our lives and with our hearts. That is what we intend to do is follow. And then in the second part of verse 13, he concludes, it concludes by saying, Then they blew the trumpet and shouted, Jehu is king. God's plan, his perfect plan, because God is perfect in what he does, which is his plan's about to transpire. Number three, even though God's warnings seem distant and hypothetical, judgment eventually will come. There could have been a time where Ahab and Jezebel had some second thoughts and thought, maybe we need to lay low. And if we lay low, maybe God will let us slip through the cracks and there won't be any revenge from God. We don't know if they ever had any second thoughts in regard to that. We don't know. Uh, Some people seem to think, Well, you know, God's a loving God. He's kind and he's merciful and he would never do anything to hurt anybody. The problem with that picture is it is an unbalanced view about God. He is a loving God. He is a compassionate God. But he is also a just God. That is why Jesus had to go to the cross. Do you think if there had been another way that would not have been the plan? The most outrageous plan is for God to send his one and only son to the cross for us. But it was because sin is so deadly and devastating that it took the cross and the cross alone. It took the terrible judgment of the cross for us to have salvation. So God's judgment certainly is painful and true it's not enough just to say oh it'll be okay just just rest no turn to god it matters uh, in hebrews nine twenty seven, tells us just as a man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment we are all headed to death we may do our best to avoid it to clear our minds that death is coming but that will not stop death. We will all die. And you know, I tell everybody, thanks to Jesus, I'm I'm really not afraid of death. I'm real afraid of how I might get there. I don't like pain and I don't want to suffer for a long period of time. I'm just being honest with you. I I, I was talking to David the other night. I think we're here on a Wednesday night. And I said, you know, wouldn't it, you know, I'd, I'd like to have some idea of when my time is. You know, I like to eat ice cream and, The way I'd like to go is to go in my sleep when I don't know anything and just drift into heaven. And I said, wouldn't it be great to have a bowl of ice cream before I went to bed that night? And then I thought about that, and then I got about it, and I said, you know, David, if I knew, maybe I'd just eat the whole half gallon. (laughs) Just a thought. 
God's judgment. Somebody's going to be judged. Either Jesus at the cross or me. Those are the two choices. Uh, a double assassination, back to our text. Down verse 21. Hitch up my chariot, Joram ordered, and when it was hitched up, Joram king of Israel and Ahaziah king of Judah rode out each in his own chariot to meet Jehu. They met him at the plot of ground that has belonged to Nabus the Jezreelite. When Joram saw Jehu, he asked, Have you come in peace, Jehu? It is no accident that he decided to meet him at the place that he set up. It was the ground that belongs to Nabus. It is interesting here, as you go on in the text, to see clearly that this is the time of God's judgment that appeared to have been postponed, or maybe God had forgotten. But as we'll see in the next part of the text, I'm going to read, God didn't forget. Uh, Look, 22 through 26, as we read in the text, he says, um, I'll start verse uh, 23. Joram turned about and fled, calling out to Azahiah, treachery, Azaziah. Then Jehu drew his bow and shot Joram between the shoulders. Darrow pierced his heart, and he slumped down in his chariot. Jehu said to Bidkar, his chariot officer, pick him up and throw him on the field that belonged to Nabus the Jezreelite. Remember how you and I were riding together in chariots behind Ahab his father when the Lord made this prophecy about him. Yesterday I saw the blood of Nabus and the blood of his sons, declares the Lord, and I will surely make you pay for it on this plot of ground, declares the Lord. Now then pick up and throw him on that ground in accordance with the word of the Lord. Yesterday was God's judgment. God had not forgotten. Now the judgment that was promised to come had arrived. God was faithful to what he said would occur. Many times throughout this passage, the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord. There is power in the word of the Lord. There is truth in the word of the Lord. The scripture talks about the fact that we reap what we sow. For unbelievers, that speaks of sowing the judgment of God because you refuse the escape hatch, the way out, which is the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. If a person never places their faith in Christ, the scripture clearly says they're in trouble for all of eternity. That's hard to digest honestly hard to preach because I don't want to see people separated from God for all of eternity. I don't want people to face judgment. But somehow we get the idea we're better than we really are. That somehow God grades on the curve. That somehow our sins really aren't that bad or they're bad enough to send Jesus to the cross. Now, for the believer... Here's the deal. For the unbeliever, judgment for eternity is being separated from God. There's still everlasting life, just not the life you want. It's the truth. But for the believer, 
our sins. There is forgiveness available, but there are consequences for the choices that we make. When we follow sin and refuse to follow Christ, there is often a price for that. And that may carry through the rest of our lives, too. The scripture tells us uh, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. But nowhere in the Bible does it say the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all the consequences of sin. When I was in seminary, I had a dear friend uh, that I worked with in the, the, the church where I was able to serve, uh, Sid Hill. And, uh, Sid was in college. He was living a double life. He'd go to church on Sunday, but he was living like a wild man the rest of the week. One night he got drunk, and he ended up hitting a telephone pole. And he was unconscious for, I can't even remember how many days. It was a number of days. He finally came out of the coma, he realized God's kindness, turned to God, and man, he was, Sid was probably the boldest witness I've ever personally known. Sometimes he would embarrass me. I mean, this is all pictures back there. Sid, are you, man, man, but he's great. <laughs> God is working through Sid. But as a result of the wreck, he had got a scholarship to Texas Tech to play baseball, but he had it like Festus. Remember Festus on Gunsmoke? This is Sidney. I don't know where Sid even is today. I've lost touch with him, but he's still got that hitch in his get-along. God forgives us of our sin, but it doesn't mean there are not lifelong consequences as a result of that sin. As it says in Galatians 6, 7, and 8, we reap what he sowed, the one who sows, to please the sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. But the one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And there's so many broken people out there. There are people that buy into the lie of, um, you know, you'll be fulfilled in, in romantic relationships and, and, you know, just giving yourself away to different people sexually. And there's so many different sexually transmitted diseases, and people live with those things. And oftentimes, people are barren as a result of that. Consequences. There are those who have abortions, and they're told, oh, it's just a, just a lump of cells. It'll be okay. And yet, they have guilt for the rest of their life of what could have been if they had decided for that child to come into the world. People face consequences and they suffer. I, you know, I, I, I've known people who, you know, lived a pretty rough life of drinking and drugs and came to Christ and, you know, it slowed them down. It impacted them. It affected their lives. Uh, J. Vernon McGee, and he's not the only one that said this, but he, he had said in the message, you cannot plant wild oats and then pray for crop failure. And wild oats produce a crop. McGee goes on and he tells a story about Mel Trotter, a guy that came to his church and preached. Afterward, they went to a Dairy Queen, praise God, ice cream, whatever. 
had the malts and the sundays and all that wonderful stuff. But Mel, all he got was carbonated water. So, you know, everybody started picking on him. Really? Carbonated water? And he said, well, when I got saved, God gave me a new heart, but I got that same old stomach. The years of drinking, I, I can't enjoy foods like I used to. There is a price. There is a consequence. John Wesley said this with a life resolution. To never do anything that I would be afraid of doing were at the last hour of my life. Wow. To be afraid of doing anything were at the last hour of my life. Uh, all right. Going on in our text, the death of Bell's princess and priests. Look at verse 30 of chapter 9. Then Jehu went to Jezreel. When Jezebel heard about it, she painted her eyes, arranged her hair, and looked out of a window. So she's just, you know, crazy. Yeah, she's got to be pretty for that, you know. <laughs> but anyway, that's what occurred. Okay, verse 31. As Jehu entered the gate, she asked, Have you come in peace, Zimri, you murderer of your master? She's actually mocking Jehu because if you go back in 1 Kings, you discover that Zimri was a guy who he did manage to take over the kingdom, but he only lasted seven days. There was a palace fire, and he died in that fire. And so she was basically saying, even if you manage to gain control of this kingdom, it will be short-lived. Your time, your judgment is coming. And, and so she was attacking him in that stubborn way. She's refusing to repent. God, I believe the reason it took 14 years, God wanted him to repent. Man, God loves people more than we do. If it's up to us, you know, I've joked about it for years. I, you know, sometimes I ask God, yeah, could I be the Holy Spirit for an hour? I've got some work to do. And God says, hey, you destroy the world, my child. Um, we do not have the mind and the heart of God for all these situations. All right, on 32 through 37 here of the text. Um, he looked up at the window and called out, Who is on my side? Who? Two or three eunuchs looked down, throw her down. So they did. Um, whew! The judgment that came and it goes on and, and it, it describes uh, the nightmare of the judgment this is the word of the lord who spoke through his servant elijah the tishbite on the plot of ground at jezreel dogs will devour jezebel's calf god's judgment is sure okay now we move on to chapter 10 in 2 Kings. And there, I'm not going to read a bunch of this, but there was the execution of Ahab and Jezebel's family, those who were in line for the throne. We even see that there was execution of the prophets of Baal as they were placed in their temple and tricked. Judgment came upon them. All this happened quickly. Now, We've looked at this horrible picture of judgment. I want to bring out some applications through this as we close out this study on Elisha. First is this. When God's word is rejected, the wickedness in a person's life is unbelievable. 
the time of Jezebel and Ahab, children were sacrificed and crazy. Sacrificing a child. There was all, all kinds of, of immorality and people turning away from God to follow false gods. You know, um, there are a lot of people in our world who treat God like a faucet. They turn him on whenever they need him, and then they cut him off when they don't. Cry out to God when there's this need, but otherwise, no conversation with God. There are other people that treat God's word like a, a local bus. You know, we'll go along on that bus until we get to a place where we want to stop and get off. Not going any further, God. But the truth of the matter is, God's word is true. And our God is real. We're following him. Without his word, when we turn away from him, it's a downward spiral. And what we are capable of becoming is frightening. Because we are depraved. This idea that mankind is going to continue to make the world a better and better place until... We just kind of float in the glory. Are you kidding me? Just look around. All right, number two. When God's authority is denied, the wasting of a person's life is inevitable. How sad. How sad to have a wasted life. To, to live for the temporal and miss the eternal. And we can do that. Ernest Hemingway was a brilliant writer, but he ended up committing suicide. In his twisted way of thinking, he rewrote the first part of the Lord's Prayer where he says, Our nada who art in nada, and nada is the Spanish word for nothing. So our nothing who is in nothing, and that idea of there is nothing, hopelessness, led him to take his own life. Can you imagine wasted life? Living as if God doesn't exist and then realizing there's nothing worth living for. I heard a testimony um, on podcast, not listening to podcast, and this lady, she has pretty severe health problems, crippled in a wheelchair, and uh, she wanted to meet somebody, but she didn't know how. Anyway, through a set of circumstances, she meets this guy, and evidently they, they look like Brad Pitt. I don't know. I think they're pretty ugly. But this guy, he loved her, and he cared for her, and it was just talking about the beautiful picture of Christ, how there's hope. And she said, you know, they're falling in love, you know, and, and she's like, why would you have to marry me? She said, I, I'm going to end up, at that time, she wasn't fully in a wheelchair, but she said, I'm going to end up, you know, being in a wheelchair. And you like to push me around. She says, well, as long as one of us can walk, we both get somewhere. It's no problem. And she said, and if both of us end up in a wheelchair, we'll just hire somebody to push us around, don't we? <laughs> you know, but there was a picture of more than just looking at the superficial, seeing the eternal, seeing God in her life and falling in love with her because he saw God in her. He saw Christ in her. And that's what he wanted. All right, thirdly, when God's plans are obeyed, the difference in a person's life is unmistakable. 
change. If there is no change, did you change? As someone has said, if, if there's not been a difference in your life, what's the difference? God transforms people. God works in our hearts. And, and that is, man, that's, that's everything. That's everything. Let me close uh, with a story. Young man, he was at he was at a tent meeting, and he was scared to death. But he got up to share his testimony. He stumbled all over his words. An atheist yelled from the crowd. He said, "You should be ashamed of yourself standing up there and talking like that." And the young guy is stumbling over his words, but he looks down at the guy and he says. I am ashamed of myself. I'm a terrible speaker, but I'm not ashamed of Jesus Christ. What about your life? What about your life? You see, there's only two kind of people. People who know Jesus and people who don't. There's only two destinations, to be with God or not to be with God after death. I could get into the specifics of some of the things it talks about with heaven and hell, but most of us have been in church for long enough to know it matters. You, as someone has said, you may meet me and forget me, big deal, but if you meet Christ and forget him, how's it go? Let's pray. Father, we thank you as, as we close out uh, this study on Elisha and and we look at it, just a horrible section of Scripture in many ways as we see your judgment carried out against the family of Jahab, I mean Ahab and Jezebel. And Father, thank you, Lord, that the judgment meant for me, Christ took upon himself at the cross. And many of us here are able to give that testimony but Father, maybe there's somebody here, somebody who may be listening on the internet who have heard about Christ, but they have not taken that step of finding a new life and total forgiveness through Jesus Christ, of taking upon themselves that wondrous truth that Jesus took my place that I do not have to stand in judgment before God. He paid the price that I would be able to earn the privilege of eternal life. God, you're so good. And Father, as we take time to just simply respond to you as your word commands us to, Father, I, I pray that you speak. I pray that we listen. I pray, God, that you work beyond what we think, that you may get the full glory. In Christ's name we pray.